There's a deep sense of unease in our rapidly changing world. We all know something has been lost, but we don't know why or where it all leads. Pop culture tells us it's all about me and that we should worship our own creations rather than the creator. In politics, the end justifies the means. In relationships, love means self-satisfaction. In life, status and appearance are what count. In the church, confusion replaces clarity and conviction. Our faulty and distorted view of God is at the root of all our problems. But what if we viewed God differently? What if we saw Him the way He longed for us to see Him? We can worship a God who is holy, wise, and just, one whose faithfulness and goodness are matched by His power and sovereignty over all things. This is a God who can deliver us from evil and transform lives. This is a God worth worshiping. The way back, the path of hope starts with knowing God for who He really is. We need to know the real God. So as we begin a new series this morning entitled The Real God, we're going to be taking a journey over the next six or seven weeks here, and we're going to be looking at the character of God. We're going to look at who He is, who is the real God. You know, many times we develop misconceptions about God. We try to make God fit us. We try to, uh, to make God do what we want him to do. We try to make God fit our image. And, uh, and so really, that, that is not what our, our, our worship is about. Our worship is not to try and make God like us. God says, I came to make you like me. See, that's, that's the whole difference here. God is, is so much bigger. And uh, A.W. Tozer said this. He's a, a great scholar, very, very prestigious uh, man of God. He loved the Lord and shared a lot, a lot of, wrote a lot of books. He said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So I want to ask you this morning, what comes into your mind when you think about God? Maybe just close your eyes for, for about 30 seconds here. And what image comes to your mind when you think about God? And just, just take, we'll take 10 minutes, 10 seconds of silence here. So what came to your mind this morning when you're thinking about God? Uh, how do you view him? You know, some people have a policeman view of God. They think that God's a policeman and he's only there to write a ticket. You know what I mean? Uh, whenever I was younger, I grew up, in, in, you know, grew up closer to the city. I was down Dormont. Um, we, we didn't know that the policemen were our friends, right? We thought they were only there for when we had an infraction, right? And whenever we parked on the wrong side of the street, whenever we uh, did other things that teenagers do, right? We thought that was what the police were for. And so some people can take that view of authority and place that on God and say, well, that's the only thing I think about God. Other people can think of God like a magic genie, right? Uh, rub, rub, the, rub the lamp and I get what I want. I only got three wishes, so I better make them good, Right? And, uh, and so other people have, everybody has all these different misconceptions about God. This morning, I'm going to show you a video. And as you watch the video, I just want you to watch it because uh, it's called the vending machine. And a lot of people get an idea that, you know, God has to do what I want him to do or else he's not God. 
And uh, as you watch this, just kind of think about your image of God. And uh, we're going to be working for the next couple weeks to really see God for who he really is. Hey, what you listening to? When you think about God, who do you imagine he is? Do you see him as someone who likes to give you good things? And what do you think that really means, anyway? Does it mean he's kind of like... A vending machine? I was going to say a magic genie, but sure, vending machine works. Let's go with that. That's, that's, that's weird. No, well, I don't think it's that weird. And the elevator's broken anyway, so you might as well go along with it. Hey, what's in there? There you go. That's the spirit. Anyway, as I was saying, if we see God like a vending machine, we might think he's just there to grant our wishes, to give us the stuff that's most important to us. It's... With a never-ending supply of... Whatever we want. Sounds pretty cool, right? Maybe you're like Diana. And you want to be the MVP of the softball team. Punch in D6. be really popular. That's C3. Yeah! Or maybe you want that report card with all A's on it. Punch in B5. But... Maybe God is a vending machine? Is not such a good idea? Sure, it's great to punch in whatever you want, but... Hey! What if God has a purpose for you that's greater than just getting what you want? Maybe God knows that what we want isn't always what we need. The Bible says God is so good and loves us so much, not to just always give us everything we ask for. Sometimes the things we pick fall apart in our hands. God cares more about giving us what we need instead of what we want. Really? Come on! Did you know that what you think about God is the most important thing about you? So how should you think about God?
Maybe it's better if you let God tell you who he is and base your picture of him on what he says about himself. The real God loves to give you good things, but he's only going to give you what's best for you. the vending machine like that okay just a few of us with a good temper right you know it's like when that peg of potato chips gets hung up you're like come on right and I think so many times that when I saw that I was like that is me you know yeah and then you know what when we when we come to God there are things that you know we're, we're working through life and there's issues there's things that we're dealing with that we need and they're legitimate needs and and we come before God, and we're like, God, you've got to do this right now. And God calls us to prayer, and we're supposed to pray. We pray about everything, and we lay it at his feet. But yet God has a plan that's so much bigger than ours. Um, and, and so our, our image of God can be shaped by, uh, you know, what, what happens is when we, when we get a distorted view of God, when we don't understand who he is, it, it affects how you pray. And it affects how you relate to others. It reflects uh, how you make your decisions. It impacts your decision-making. It impacts the future, how you see the future. Uh, it, it, it just affects every part of your life. And a lot of times it comes from past experiences. It comes from um, how you grew up. It comes from difficult times. One fellow told me uh, after the service last night, he said, yeah, I, I remember my, my dad really struggled with things of God because he had a bad church experience as a child. And, uh, and so that can happen. You have a bad experience, and all of a sudden, you begin to interpret God. And see, these are all humans that we're dealing with in this room, right? None of us are God. And so sometimes people uh, interpret a bad experience with a human, and they place that on God. And so this morning, what I want to do, I want, I want to help you develop a proper understanding of who God is over the next few weeks. So the very first point in your notes, if you're taking notes on the back of the bulletin, is this, is that God is not small enough to fit in your box. He's not small enough to fit in your box. Uh, the other day, I got a box from Amazon. How many get those boxes from Amazon, right? You just love that. Isn't that great? You don't have to go anywhere and click and it comes, except I didn't order anything. And uh, it came to my office, and it's sitting on my desk. I'm like, oh, what did my wife do now, right? And I'm thinking, you know, because sometimes she'll put the wrong address on. She's ordering something for the office and, or something. And this is something that belongs at home, you know, and who knows what we get on Amazon, right? So I open it up, and it's like, oh, this is different. Inside there was a bag. It looked like a Santa Claus bag. And it says, a gift for you. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I started get, having fun. I started to open up, you know, had the sash on there, and I started pulling the sash out. I'm like, I wonder who this is from. And, you know, there, I didn't realize it said on a tag outside, it's a gift for you, and then you open it up. But I just saw a gift for you. I'm like, oh, an anonymous gift. This is kind of cool. I'm wondering what it is. And so I, I finally get in there, you know, they got this big box, and you open up this bag, and then inside there, there's a bunch of bubble wrap and all this, and there's a nice little plaque. And it was from a friend of mine who wanted to send me a note of encouragement. And I was like, how cool is that, that, that I got this plaque in the mail? Uh, but I, I had the box sitting there, and I couldn't help but think, because after I was done, I put the plaque back in the bag, pulled the sash, put it back in the box, and I noticed that there was more room in the box than the gift. 
The gift was like the size of this book, right? And, uh, and the box was much bigger. And I couldn't think, help but think that that is many times what we want to do with God. We want God to do what we want him to do, and then we put him back in the box. God, I'll follow you if you do what I think you ought to do, and this is the way you should do it, and this is the way it ought to happen. So we come before him, and, and we, I think we start that out of well-meaning intentions because he says to pray about everything. So we come to him, and we pray about everything. But pretty soon, we begin to develop an idea that if God doesn't do something, that he doesn't love me. And so that's not the case. Just because God didn't do something doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. As a matter of fact, God is so big that he can't fit in your box. He, he is magnanimous. He is beyond your comprehension. And we, we expect him to do what we think he ought to do. In the meantime, God says, I am so much bigger. I see your life at a different perspective. I see your life. I see multiple generations of your life. I see what's happening today. I see what's going to happen in your grandkids' life and in their grandkids' life. I see this whole big picture. So you can trust me. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25. Look what uh, was happening. Isaiah, the prophet, Israel was going through hard times, up and down, hard times. And God says to him, he says, To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Who are you going to compare God to? So when you, when you made that, that mental image earlier, maybe, maybe you thought of, of, of strict and, and rules and regulations. Or maybe you thought of Rob the Magic Genie Lamp, right? Or maybe you didn't think of anything. Uh, we want to we wanna draw the picture. And I, want to, I want you to catch this here because here it is. To whom will you compare me who is my equal? There is no one that we compare God to. No one on this earth compares to God. He continues on here. He says... Uh, he says, look up into the heavens who created all the stars. Who created all the stars? I, I, I love when God gets that way. He, he does this with Isaiah. He does this with Job. Every now and then you see him, he, he throws out the challenge. He says, look, who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power, because of God's great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Not a single star is missing out of that sky. Do you ever go look at the stars? You know, in, in Pittsburgh, it's hard to see the stars in our area, right? Uh, when I was up in the Adirondacks, I, I went to school up in the Adirondacks, upstate New York. I remember we would go out and we would look at the stars, probably because there wasn't much else to do up there, okay? So we went out and we looked at the stars. And for this city kid, you got to remember, I was 19 years old. I'm up there. I'm away from every street light. I'm away from everything that I knew about city. And I'm looking. I'm laying back there. And I'm in this field. and with a couple friends. And we're like, whoa. I mean, there were so many stars. It was like it was polluted with stars. It was like it kept going and going and going. And then you see a shooting star and you just... You were just in awe of the universe and awe of God's powerful handiwork. And God says this. God said to Isaiah, he says, I want you to look at the stars. I want you to consider who made them. I want you to consider that God knows every name of every star, and there's not one of them that aren't in their place. Now, when you take that and you consider how those stars rotate, how the planets rotate and all the orbits and this and that, this is an incredibly complex universe that God has made. 
God's got all these things that are moving. And if something is just a little bit off, we have a major problem. And there's people that will try to tell you there's doomsday coming and that something's going to be a little bit off. But God has held it together, folks. God has held it together and not one star is out of its place and he knows them all by name. And so therefore, I want you to catch this. He says, there is no, I don't fit into your box. You, can't, you cannot reduce me. This is why the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, he said, thou shalt have no other gods before me, not to make any graven image, not to make any pictures, okay? The reason he said that is because you cannot reduce God to something that you could put in a box. You can't do it. So that's why he didn't want have idols and statues and all that, because he said, you cannot reduce me. I am too big. Who can you compare me to? You're going to compare me to the, to the gods of the other nations? Oh, yeah. Who made all these stars? I did. I did. I, 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 Isaiah continues here. How can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? This is so powerful. Oh, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your insights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. Wow, God is all-powerful. He's almighty. He says, he says that he's everlasting. He's the creator. And you think he hasn't seen your troubles? You're going through life. And listen, you and I, we go through life, and life is filled with trouble. The older that you get, the more you understand that. You know, when you're, when you're a young, young person, you don't understand that. When you are middle age, you start to listen to it. And when you're of elderly age, you can tell it all about it. You can tell all the woes of it. Look here, he continues on, verse 29. He gives the power to the weak and strength to the powerless. This God who created all the stars, who keeps all this in orbit, who understands the science of it all, who created it. I mean, this is very intricate, detailed design that he's made this universe. He says that he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. That's you. That's me. Even youth will become weak and tired. Young men will fall in exhaustion. He uses the comparison of young men. You put a young man next to an old man, right? And you'll see a big difference, right? A young man has a lot of strength. A young man has a lot of energy. A young man thinks they're invincible, think they can do anything. And Isaiah here, he's saying, you know, God's telling us, he says, listen, even, even a young man gets tired. Even a young man, you know, you, you go down to the gym, you see a young man, what he's pumping, the iron that he's pumping versus the iron that an old man's pumping. You see there's a big difference. But even that young man gets tired. And God says this. Now look here. He continues on. Verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Um, Wait upon the Lord. Now let me give you this. The word wait here is also interchangeable with the word trust. Some translations will use the word trust there. So it's like, here's what happens. When you're waiting... You're trusting or else you wouldn't wait. You know, you you go to the doctor's office, you're trusting that the doctor can help you, right? You say, I I believe that this doctor can help me. So you go there and, and you sign up and you may have to wait an hour. 
You may have to wait an hour and a half. I've done that for some of the specialist doctors, right? Um, you may have to wait five minutes and you come right on in. So, there, so there's all different waits. But here's the deal. When you are waiting on the Lord, you are trusting. Just like when you sat in the doctor's office, you trusted the, the doctor is worth waiting for. He says those who wait on the Lord, those who trust on the Lord, those who trust him... All right? They will mount up. God will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. And so through the trials and through the tribulations of life, God says, I am bigger. I cannot fit into your box. You cannot reduce me to something that small. I cannot fit into your mental box. You want God to do this and act a certain way. God says, I cannot reduce myself to be that small. I am far greater. I am far more magnificent. Look what Paul said in Romans 11. Paul said this, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his past and his ways past finding out. You cannot find out everything about him. His, it's so deep. It's so magnanimous. Verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? I think sometimes we do. We try to be that part, don't we? How many times have you tried to tell God, I think this is how it ought to be done? If I were God, this is how I would rule the world, right? Uh, and, and we don't actually come out and say that. We kind of infer that. We kind of feel that. It's just like, wow, you know, the, things just aren't going the way they are. And so many people, this is where they stop following God because, because life was messy. And God says, listen, it's okay that life is messy. I'm going to continue to work. I'm going to continue to move in your life. And I have a bigger plan than the mess. I have a bigger plan. I am going to take care of you. And so he, he shows us here, and it's kind of powerful, because most people have known, uh, known this from the context, like in Isaiah. You've known about Isaiah 30, uh, 40, 31, but you probably never read the rest of the chapter, where it, where it shows you how great he is, and he's showing his power. Um, who has first given to him and shall be repaid to him? Uh, who, who gave to God first? None of us, not one of us. And so he says, look, we all are here because God gave to us. Number one, he gave us creation. Go out and look at creation. Um, and Romans tells us that, that creation itself declares his glory. You know, you, you, people ask about people around the world, how they'll hear about the name of Jesus. First of all, God has given creation, and creation itself bears the glory of God. The second thing is this, that his word, he's revealed himself to us in his word. And so we have the word of God, and we can see, and in this morning as we're looking at passages like Isaiah and Romans here, we see that, hey, we see the hand of God is big, it's unsearchable, it's deep. And then we have the... We have Jesus who arrived on the scene. When God left heaven and became a man, God didn't just send a letter to us. He came in person. He died on the cross. He paid for your sin that you might have eternal life. And so this is the power of God. I'm going to look this morning at, at three people in the Old Testament here, three guys that, that were seeking God because I want us to seek God. And as we go out and we seek God, we go after him, uh, I want us to look at a couple things that these guys did. Number one, Moses says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Um, Exodus thirty-three seventeen. So the Lord said to Moses, 
I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Look at, the, look at how he says there, I know you by name. There, there's a connection here. I have a relationship. And then Moses replies, he says, please show me your glory. In other words, he, he, I really want to know you. He's seeking God. Verse 19, then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He says, I will make my goodness. What a powerful way. Of all the words that God could have chosen, uh, J.I. Packer, he says this, of all the words that God could have used, he says to Moses, my goodness will pass before you. The goodness of God. He says, "I I want to see your glory. He says, my goodness will pass before you. Continuing on in Exodus 33, it's not on the screen, but if I could just read it to you. But he said, you cannot see my face. You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be. Now listen, isn't it interesting that he says, you shall stand on the rock. God takes us and he puts us on stable ground. That is so powerful. The world around us is not, but God, as he puts us on stable ground. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. So imagine this little cave. He says, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. There's an old song we used to sing. He hides my soul in the cleft of the rock. And he covers me there with his hand. That's where that song came from. Exodus 33, 23. He, he hides me. I remember singing it as a kid. I didn't understand what it meant. But now that I see the passage, I'm like, wow, look what God said. He says, in all your trouble, Moses. Moses had a lot of trouble, folks. Moses, you, you, know, you know the story of Moses, right? He was put in the basket. And uh, his mother, you know, the, the, the Egyptians were trying to kill all the, all the newborn babies, right? So he puts, his mother puts him in a basket and floats him down to Pharaoh's palace. Uh, Pharaoh, one of the, the ladies from Pharaoh's courts, they come out and they see this baby and they're like, no, we can't let this baby go. We're going to raise him. So this little baby grows up in Pharaoh's court. His name is Moses. Moses lives there for 40 years. Moses is conflicted. He finds out. He realizes that these are my people that are slaves. So I'm in Pharaoh's court, but yet these are my people that are the slaves. So he goes out one day, and at the age of 40, he murders one of the, one of the people that were mistreating the, the, the Israelites. And then he runs. He flees to the desert. So he's now in the desert for 40 more years. He's now 80 years old. And he gets to meet God. And God calls him and says, I'm going to use you. You're going to take my people and you're going to get them out of Egypt. This is going to be big. I have a great plan. I'm going to do great and mighty things in your life. And, and yet, here's what happens. He comes before him. And at that point, he's 80 years old. Something it's going to happen. But he has an encounter with God. And he's seeking God. And so in this moment of seeking God, he says, I will cover you with my goodness. My goodness will pass before you. I'm going to cover you with my hand, and you will be in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to put your feet on solid ground. Verse 34, Exodus 34, verse 6, go to the next chapter. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, 
the Lord. Now check this out. The Lord, uh, when you see L-O-R-D, all caps like that in Scripture, think Yahweh. It's the highest name for God. The Lord, Yahweh. Yahweh, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Now look how God describes himself to Moses. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and in faithfulness. Next verse. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving the wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Look at how he's described himself. And then he continues because he's showing us, he's tipping us to who God is, right? He says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Now, let me tell you what he did there. He lets out a little bit of his character. He actually lets out a whole lot of it. But this, this line here gets us all messed up. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. What God was saying here is that I am loving I am slow to anger, but I am also just, and I'm also holy. Do you know how the guilty was punished? God himself came down to earth. Jesus, God the Son, went right to the cross, and he paid for your sin on the cross. And God is here telling you his character. Look, I am just. I follow through with my word. Those stars would not remain in space. They would not remain in their orbit if God did not keep his promises. So when he follows through on the promise about sin and his holiness, and we're going to spend a whole week talking about holiness, and we're going to, like, clarify some misconceptions that people have about holiness, all right? Holiness means set apart. God is so different than you and I. He is set apart. He is so different. Nobody can compare to him. And so God says here, this is who I am. Let's go back to the verse. Verse 6. And he passed in front of Moses, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God. This is who I want you to follow. I want you to know this God. Slow to anger. We know that we have sin issues. God is not, not dealing with our sin But he is slow to anger. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift through Jesus Christ. Abounding in love and in faithfulness. Maintaining his love to the thousands. And forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And when he's talking about this, I want you to see here the reference to the cross. Because the only way that the guilty could truly be taken care of is through the cross of Jesus. So we have a sin problem. Our sin problem separates us from a holy God. And God says, I have a love and a care for you, but yet I cannot let my justice not be satisfied. So he sends his one and only son, Jesus, to the cross. David, King David, you've read about King David in the Old Testament. David was the king of all kings in the Old Testament. David says, show me your beauty. Show me your beauty. And, uh, and David, you know, you think, well, what, could, what would he ask of the Lord? David had everything. Would he come and would he ask God for more territory? Would he ask God for um, more power? Would he ask God for, you know, what, what would he ask God for? Look what he asked God for. Psalm 27. Verse 4 says this, that, that, David, that David said this, One thing I've asked of the Lord, 
This is what I seek. So he's telling me. Now, now I, of all the things he could ask for, he could ask for power. He could ask for fame. He could ask for anything. He asked this, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. House, I want you to not think church. Everybody thinks we're here in the house of the Lord. That, that's, that's, a, uh, that, that's just a nice thought. House meaning dwelling place. I want to be where God is, that all the days of my life I'll be in close relationship with God, all right? Um, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple, uh, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to see the beauty of the Lord. In other words, he says, I want to see this relationship. I want to know him. I'm seeking him. And by the way, God uses people with messy lives, folks. God loves people with messy lives. God has a plan for all of our messy lives. King, uh, King David had a, had a terrible time. He, he went out and he murders a guy and he ends up in the wilderness for 40 years. Age of 80, God says, I'm going to use you, right? I'm sorry, that was Moses. Moses. Moses and, uh, murders a guy who's out in the wilderness for 40 years. And at the age of 80, God says, I'm going to use you, Moses. King David... King David was uh, the little boy with the, the tw- you know, five little stones in the, in, in the slingshot. And he went out and he, and he hit, hit Goliath and down came Goliath. But when David became king, he also had problems. He, he had an adulterous affair. He saw a beautiful woman. And he kept going for more looks. And then he began to proceed beyond the looks. And he began to have an adulterous affair with her. And then he found out that her husband, in order to cover his tracks, her husband was in the army, so he puts her husband on the very front line so that he'll be killed. King David says, man, I know that I want the presence of the Lord more than anything. Look over here, the next verse, because in verse 5 he continues. He says, um, to gaze on his beauty, for in the day of trouble, David had seen all kinds of trouble. David's relationship with God was strained. And he says, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. Under the arm of the Almighty is where I am safe. There's no safer place. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle. Underneath his wings, he will hide me. He will set, my, set me high upon a rock. He will make my life solid. Wow. Hosea. The next one, Hosea. Hosea says, show me your faithfulness. Just show me that you're faithful, God. And uh, Hosea, one of these days we'll do a series on Hosea. Uh, just a brief overview of the book of Hosea. If you look it up in the Old Testament, you'll find Hosea was a prophet. And God had him marry a, marry a prostitute. Her name was Gomer. And you're like, did you just say prostitute? Yes, I did. Okay? And that's what, that's what he was instructed to do. So he marries this prostitute. And what, what happened? Obviously, Gomer was not faithful. She was unfaithful in their relationship. And what God did was he took this and he said, I'm going to draw a picture of how my people Israel are unfaithful to me. And so, you know, I want you to think about how many times that we are unfaithful to God. We have all this, you know, we we want God to do all these things, but yet we're unfaithful in many areas. And so as we're dealing with, uh, with our unfaithfulness to God, Hosea, he, he's, you know, he's like, he's dealing with this unfaithful wife, and he's like, God, I don't understand all this. And look what he says. He says, I want you, uh, verse, Hosea chapter 3, verse 6, he says, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. He is going forth 
Uh, his going forth is as certain as the dawn. I know that he's working. He will come to us like rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. So this morning, I want to encourage you that God is faithful. We see all this. We're, 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 going, we're going to be looking at more and more of his character over the next six weeks. But look, this morning, show me your glory. Moses says, show me your glory. David says, show me your beauty. And Hosea says, show me your faithfulness. Show me that you are there, that you are always there. And, uh, and this morning, I want you to know that if you want to find God, if you want to see God, just look at Jesus. Just look at Jesus because he revealed himself. He has given the revelation to us through Jesus, through his word, and through creation. And the greatest gift of all was when Jesus came to this earth and he paid for your sin once for all forever. John 1.18, look what, look what John says here. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. No one has ever seen God, but the only begotten. That was Jesus, the one and only God. That was Jesus, who is at the Father's hand. He has made him known. God came to this earth and revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was leaving, and this is so powerful. Now catch this this morning. Jesus is ready to go to the cross. He's in his final prayer. And in his final prayer, he says this. He says in John chapter 17, he says this. He says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, that they may know you. Here's eternal life. Now check it out. He didn't say, here's eternal life that they may go to church every Sunday. Aren't you glad going to church doesn't get you to heaven? That you give all the time. Giving doesn't get you to heaven. Aren't you glad? God's not sitting there with a checklist and saying, if you do these things, then I'll hit the vent and you just hit A3 and you'll get what you want. No, no, God says, I am God. I love you when you didn't love me. I care about you when your back was turned on me. I am pursuing you. And so this morning, wherever you're coming from, we're all coming from all different walks of life in here this morning. Some of us are coming from an idea that we have to manipulate God, that we have to perform for him, and that somehow I will get eternal life. I'll get life, and my life will get better now if I just manipulate, right? God says, no. This is eternal life. Eternal life that starts now. That they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom that you have sent. Every issue in your life, every relational issue, every self-esteem, self-image issue can be traced back to a faulty view of who God is. Man, we've been taught all of our life to work and we have to please somebody. And God says, listen, I love you for who you are, for who he is. He's bigger. You can't fit him into your box. Let's close in prayer this morning. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I'm going to ask you to come to Jesus. 
That's my invitation to you this morning is to come to Jesus. Uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the real God. We're going to, you're, you're going to be blown away at the greatness of God, at his holiness, at his mercy, at his love for you. And we're going to tie this always back to who he is with his relationship with you. But maybe this morning, some of you say, Pastor Ken, I've not yet started a relationship with Jesus. I need to open my heart. I, I don't know that I have eternal life. Maybe, maybe you've been saying your eternal life has been based upon how good you can be, how you can perform, all the things that you can do. Jesus said eternal life is to know Jesus. So this morning, I'd like to invite you to know him, to start a relationship with him, not to join a church, not to give, not to go do anything, but to know him. So if that's you this morning, just with our eyes closed this morning, would you pray with me that God would come into your life? Just open your heart and say, I'd like to invite Jesus into my life. And if that's you this morning, pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I come to you as a sinner. I've done wrong things. I believe that you died on the cross. You paid for my sin once, for all, forever. And you came back to life again. And so, God, I invite you into my life right here, right now, this morning. And with no one looking around as we close our service, if you say, Pastor Ken, this morning I opened my heart to Jesus. I just prayed with you this morning. If, if that's you, would you just raise your hand, just put it up and down, and I'll, I'll remember you in a closing prayer. Are there, are, there, are there others? God bless you. I see that hand. Are there others? All over this place. Look, God bless you. I see that hand. Are there others? God bless you. Man, God has been so good to us. Look at these folks coming to Jesus. God bless you. I see that hand this morning. five people in our, in our house this morning came. God bless you. I see that hand. Are there others this morning? God bless you. God is moving. God is bringing people unto himself. Let's, let me just pray for you this morning. And church, can we rejoice together in prayer for those that have come to know Jesus this morning? Let's, let's just lift them up in prayer. Dear God, I come before you, Lord, and I thank you for, for the many people in this room, Lord who raised their hand and said, yes, I just prayed with you. I opened my heart to Jesus and he stepped into my life. Today, I came in here and I'm walking out of here with eternal life that I may know Jesus. God, I pray you'll be with each person in this room. Be with each person who raised their hand. Lord, would you do powerful things in their life? God, for all of us, I lift the prayer up for all of our people, Lord. Many times, Lord, we forget that you are God and we are not. We forget that we are in your box. You're not in our box. So, God, I ask this morning that as we continue this journey, Lord, be with your people. Help, help all of us, Lord, that we will come to know you for who you are, not for who we want you to be. God, you are so good to us. We love you. We thank you for how you've been moving in our lives. In 
your name we pray. Amen. God bless you folks. Isn't it glad to be here today? Let's give our God a hand. What a great God we serve. I'd like to encourage you today, if you, if you prayed to receive the Lord Jesus, would you take one of these connect cards that are right in front of you and just write your name on there and, uh, and, and just mark on there, uh, I, I prayed today. Uh, it says, it, it, there's, I think there's a box to check on the back. It says, I prayed to receive Christ. If you just mark that, drop it at our Next Steps booth. I will make sure that you get more material that will help you understand Jesus in a powerful way. All right? We want you to know him because he's a great God. We'll, we'll give you a friend who will come alongside of you and help you know Jesus. What a great God we serve. Let's stand together and worship our God with a hand. uh, Just praise him with a clap offering. All right, God bless you. You are dismissed.